Come on. Don't you love baptisms and celebrating what God's doing to the lives of people? Love to each testimony, just so awesome, each service today to see people who are fully committing their lives to Christ, and that's what we're all about here. And uh, I have the great privilege of bringing the word today, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Pastor Scott right now is up preaching at our GT North campus. Uh, it's been a while since he was able to get back up there in person, though he is streamed there quite often. He wanted to be able to be there in the flesh. And uh, so today he uh, tasked me with bringing the word that I'm about to bring today uh, and the subject matter. We are in unison today across our campuses. So uh, I'm excited for that. So I'm going to start with a question. Always good to start with a question. Have you ever, ever had a disagreement with somebody? You might disagree with me right now. And why I'd even ask that question. We all know what it feels like to face the challenge of someone disagreeing with you, especially when it's something that you have very strong feelings about. No matter how trivial or how important, nobody likes it when somebody has a different perspective, different point of view, and there's a disagreement. No matter how you find that, in a marriage, in a friendship, in the workplace, amongst other friends, in church, in your small group, if you've been a part of the body of Christ for any amount of time, you will have discovered that Christians don't agree 100% on every single matter. And what do we call these? We call these disputable matters. If you read Romans chapter 14, which we will examine today, you'll find instructions on how we as followers of Jesus, I'm not interested today in talking about how people outside of the church respond to one another. We already know how that goes. I'm talking about people that have given their lives to Jesus, people that are baptized believers, people that belong to a local community of Jesus followers, how we are to get along with one another even when we disagree on different matters. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. Then he says, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Okay? All of us to agree there be no divisions, and that we be united in the same mind and judgment. I want us to think about those words, agreement. I want us to think about the words uh, division. I want us to think about the words mind and judgment. So if you're taking notes, it's not something that's there, but just maybe jot that down as we walk through the scriptures today. So it's one thing for Paul to say that. Great, sounds awesome, Paul, but how do we do that? especially when we've inherited divisions, okay? We've been born into the church. Listen, church is not a new concept. It's been around for 2,000 years. We've inherited. A faith has been handed down to us one generation to the next. So we have inherited a lot of good, but we've also inherited some of the divisions that already predate us being born and us being born again into the faith, and so what do we do with that? Well, today's scripture 
out of Romans 14, I pray, helps us on that journey of discovering how to live in that unity, that good judgment, being in the same mind, and how to disagree agreeably, okay? We're gonna disagree agreeably. And on the matters of dispute, how we can come to a place where we just learn it's not even worth it to go there because of love, amen? So we'll just talk about a couple things here, and I won't belabor the point because of the time we have today. Uh, and this cannot be exhaustive. I can't go through every single issue in which we might have some disputes among us as Christ followers. But thinking about, for instance, tomorrow. Tomorrow is October 31st. Most of us have grown up seeing a certain type of celebration taking place on that day. But in church history, this day commemorates when Martin Luther tacked his 35, 95 theses to the door of the University of Wittenberg in 1517 that started what we now know as, can you help me? The, Rever the Reformation, that's right, the Reformation. And that has brought about much good. It's brought about necessary correction in the church. What he was confronting were things that the church was getting wrong and some people knowingly getting wrong and using it against the people, leveraging it for their own, uh, their own will. And so it's brought about much correction, it's brought about much good, yet it's also been the cause of pain and fracture within the body of Christ that to this day, listen, 505 years later, 505 years later, there's still need for reconciliation and healing. Some of us, as people that are in a Protestant expression of church, we are right now in a Pentecostal church with its own history dating back to the year 1914. Okay, some of us don't even care, but should we? That's a question I want to ask too. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, but I am a first-generation Protestant when it comes to the faith. My parents were both raised in Catholic environments. They both came from Catholic families. My mom from an Irish Catholic family. My dad from a Roman Catholic family. Pray for me. And I grew up having a front row seat to some of these things that as I'm learning, as my parents are diligent in bringing me to church and in being involved in the life of a, of a thriving church community and instilling the word of God into my heart, I'm also seeing my own relatives around me with a different expression of faith and not quite sure, you know, some of these things are the same, but some of these things are different. And what is it? What, is, what are these bones to pick that we have with one another? And trying to sort that out and recognizing that when I, uh, I'm sorry, am I not holding this mic okay? Because I'm hearing my voice kind of change quite a bit. Sorry, it's distracting me. Don't mean to call you out there, bud. You're doing a great job. Um, this is just a hard message today. I'm just going to tell you up front. This is not an easy message to preach. Right now, what I'm doing, you know, Jerry Seinfeld once said about public speaking that it, it, it was more feared than death for most people, <laughs> saying that most people would rather be the person in the casket than the one giving the eulogy which I find humorous. Because the thing is, is that when it comes to talking about things that are difficult to talk about, what I'm doing right now is a very difficult thing to do. 
Because I can guarantee you that we won't always see eye to eye on every matter in scripture, in Christian living, in maturing in Christ, in flourishing in the body of Christ, what's permissible, what's not permissible, what's essential, what's non-essential. And so it's important though for us to grapple with these things as the church and be unafraid to broach it, especially when we do have differing opinions, especially when from our own background, our own worldview could be completely different from somebody that shares the exact same faith with you. You know, this is not a new thing. This happened at the very beginning. We have Jewish people that have put their faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah and their Jewish, other Jewish brothers and sisters that reject him as Messiah and they're putting them out to be beaten and flogged and disciplined or even excommunicated. At the same time, we see the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh, on Jew and Gentile alike, and the apostles know this is for everybody. This is for everybody. And we see that Gentile believers are now coming to the faith in Jesus, but their living, their lifestyle is different. There are things that need correction because it's sinful, but there are other things that are just okay. Like for the early church, the matter of should we eat kosher because Jews eat kosher, or should we not? Is it okay? You know, do males from the Gentile communities need to be circumcised in order for their faith to be legitimate or no? This could sound ridiculous to us today, but these things mattered to them immensely because the Jews inherited a faith. I mean, God spoke face to face with Moses on the mountain and carved in stone commandments for them to live by. And these people, generation after generation, are hearing the stories, are having it read in their synagogues week after week and having it impressed upon their heart. And then when something happens unexpected, like the Messiah comes and dies, on a cross, it looks like a defeat. These things are trying to grapple it out. Now, I'm, I'm going at length here to try to show you that these things mattered a lot to them, and today, we have things that, hey, we accept that. We've received that, that's been handed down to us. We don't have a problem talking about that. We know that we don't need that, but we have our own issues. Can I get an amen? We have our own things that we argue about. Like, for instance, you know, again, I was talking about tomorrow will be Reformation Day, you know? So I, I ask myself this question, maybe you can too, maybe if it's never mattered to you before, maybe it's something worth considering. Our relationship between Protestants and Catholics, do I despise them or do I love them as brothers and sisters in Christ? Do I judge them for the errors I see in their practices or do I think I'm superior to them because of my theology? See where, see where I'm going with this. You know, we can have just as many problems. It goes right back to the teachings of Jesus. Before you go to remove the speck out of your brother's eye, first remove the plank from your own. And we do this often. Let's go back even further in church history. Another thing equated with tomorrow. I already heard people shouting it out. Well, here you go. In the early 7th century, when there was a tradition begun by Pope Boniface IV to combine the various celebration of the lives of martyrs, people who died because of their confession of faith in Jesus. There was all kinds of celebrations in different, different days of the year. All, you know, just think about in our own country, it feels like there's a holiday every two weeks, right? You know, and, that, and then we create new ones. Boss's Day, <laughs> you know? Like, like we need another thing to worry about. I gotta get a card, you know? It's good to do that, it's okay. But you get the point. So, the Pope is looking around at all this stuff. He said, we got all these celebrations. He just built this brand new uh, church and at, at the, uh, you know, the festival to, to inaugurate that new church building, he decides, you know what, we're gonna combine the celebration of all these martyrs 
and saints into one big festival to celebrate all of them, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 11. All right, so we remember the great cloud of witnesses. This is what's going on. And so the annual feast was observed in May, and it was called the Feast of All Hallows, or All Saints. Years later, the feast observance was moved from May to November 1st by Pope Gregory IV in the year 835. In keeping with the tradition of most Christian festivals, the feasting would begin on the evening before the holiday. Thus, October 31st was known as All Hallows' Eve, eventually known as Halloween by way of abbreviation and linguistic accents. Now, there are many people that would disagree with that. They would say, no, 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 witchcraft, steeped in it. And maybe from your cultural background, that's exactly what your perspective is on it, and it, should be, it shouldn't be trifled with. But we can't dismiss the fact that there are things from church history, from church observance, things that has been baptized by the church of Jesus Christ that we need to reclaim for his glory. We baptize human lives today who went on record saying, I am now a follower of Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. They are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Who does this world belong to? Did Jesus die and rise again or didn't he? And so do I live as if he is seated at the right hand of the Father, which scripture after scripture says, all things are under his feet. Now, does that still mean that the enemy can't do anything? No, we still have a real enemy, the devil, that doesn't want the church to believe that. Wants the church to believe that the world is still his, when in fact, part of the gospel proclamation is that Jesus is now Lord, the devil is not. So the disputable matter, should Christians engage or not engage in observance of holidays like Halloween that have been reclaimed by the world and repurposed and all kinds of garbage connected to it? Another thing, disconnected from that, but something that often can cause some disruption amongst Christians and something that's a regular rhythm of the society we live in is that of political elections. It was talked about earlier, voter guys, why is that important? Here's the thing, we're not all gonna agree on that stuff. Listen, I can get chastised for saying whatever. Half the room could agree with it, half the room could disagree with it, it doesn't matter. You know, it, there's just gonna be certain things that we don't agree upon. And the thing is, is that we have to appeal to God's word to help us sort that out. And not continue with these bones to pick that cause division amongst the body of Christ. But we should be engaged in these things. Okay, so what's the disputable matter? What influence takes priority in informing my politics? What political party most closely aligns with God's word, if any? What candidates for various offices are most fit for the job? What policies should matter most to me as a Christian? I mean, we could go on and on and on, and these are the disputable matters that we don't necessarily have a black and white answer for in Scripture, yet we have to look to the whole counsel of God's Word and find principles to help inform and instruct us in the ways of righteousness. And beyond these controversial or disputable matters that I've mentioned, there's so many others that we could get into. There was a time where people would fight over what people wore to church or didn't wear to church. No hats in church. No slacks, you know. Whatever, whatever we could come up with, you know. 
Condemnation after condemnation. Listen, we're going to go to Romans chapter 14 and look at that. But earlier in Romans, in chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes, For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. If you are confronted with condemnation, that's not from God. Conviction is from God, but condemnation is not. Getting excited. I'll try to calm down. People can argue over what to eat, what to drink, what to say, what to wear. You know, over, over differences of opinion over what, to, what kind of content we can or cannot engage in for entertainment, art, music, theater, movies, TV, whatever. Some things are very clear and out in the open in Scripture. It's in daylight. You can see it. But there's other matters, these disputable matters, are less obvious, a little bit more unclear, and are kind of like game that's hiding in the bushes that we need to carefully hunt for and draw out if we're going to know what's in there. And so that's what I want us to do. Listen, if anything, if you don't hear anything else from me today, please hear this. We need to be like that hunter. The things that we don't understand the most are the things we should probably spend a lot of time digging into the depths of the wisdom of, of God in asking questions, engaging in your small group, staying for coffee after service and just wrestling over what the word of God has to say, what the message is, why you did or why you didn't agree with what the preacher had to say. It's important to do that. Listen, I don't care if somebody disagrees with me, but what, where it does become a matter that, that's important is where we become judgmental, unloving, you know, where, where we cause divisiveness in the body of Christ, then this is where it becomes a serious matter, all right? And every definition of love in the Bible, I mean, you think about the most famous one. What is love? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient. Love is kind. I don't even have to go any further. I'm convicted right there with those two words. Love is patient and love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not self-seeking, it is not rude, it is not envious, it does not rejoice with evil, but rejoices with the truth. Right. So let's go to God's word. And I'm going to walk through line by line Romans 14 and just draw out a couple things. So before I, I jump into that, I talked about how some things are clear and out in the open in Scripture and some things are kind of like wild game hiding out in the bushes and we're not quite sure what's there or if we can even get to it. And so what are some of the things that are clear? Idolatry, murder, adultery, covetousness, theft, lying. I think that most of us in the room, if I were to ask you, are these things a sin or aren't they? We'd probably all say, yeah, yeah, nope, those are sins. Because we can find right, right in Exodus chapter 20, Thou shall not, <laughs> right? Anything is easy to decipher when it starts with a thou shall not. Okay, loud and clear. But what about some of these other things like I opened up with? Relationship between Catholics and Protestants. What Christians do or not do on October 31st or any other holiday for that matter. Let me just pose this question. People that celebrate Christmas, are they all necessarily celebrating Jesus? I'll leave it there. Now, the commands of God are indisputable. 
The commands of God are indisputable. Anything that's clear with a thou shalt not, and we have it. We have it in his word. And listen, can I encourage you? Yes, we're New Testament people, but we need to be versed in the Old Testament because your faith is deeply rooted in that. And we need to know it. And we wanna help you grow in that. We exist to reach people and to grow together in Christ. No matter where on the journey you are, new, seeking, long-time believer, we all need to grow. And we all need to have an awareness of where people are at in the journey. And so this is where I believe that today's text really helps us. So, Romans 14.1. Paul begins by saying this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Well, there we go. That's pretty clear right there. And so the first thing that we can draw from that is be welcoming regardless of differing opinions. I think we can do that. Can we do that? I think that this is a church that we're pretty welcoming. I would at least hope so, that we're friendly, that we're loving, that there's something about us that draws people back, even if they're not quite sure what that is, though we might have differing opinions on matters. So be welcoming regardless of differing opinions. You know, there's one thing about you know, being argumentative for argument's sake, but that is unfruitful and unproductive. Are there certain things that you need to tease out with others? Absolutely. But before that, let's just start with being welcoming. Paul goes on to say, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Man, that gets me. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Okay, second thing, don't pass judgment on the one who partakes or the one who abstains. Again, this is a very uh, contentious issue between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians fighting over what's permissible to eat and what's not. Listen, church life was largely built around eating together, having a meal together, and communion was always a part of that as well. How can you have communion, unity with other believers, if you're constantly fighting over what's on the table? And who's partaking of it and who's not, or that it even came in the first place? And this is what he's talking to. And I just want you to think about it. I want the Holy Spirit to maybe quicken to your heart what those things might be in your life, because I can't cover it all. So don't pass judgment on the one who partakes or the one who abstains. We need to learn from this scripture. Romans 14, five through nine, let's go to it again. Listen, he continues. He says, one person moves on from the issue of food and drink to one person esteems one day as better than another while the other esteems all days alike. No doubt they're arguing over the Sabbath. Do we need to take a day in which we do nothing? It's, it's our day of observance of God's goodness and all of that, and the Jews had a very strict way in which they did that their whole lives, and now things, they're starting to work it out a little bit different. What does this look like in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ and the inclusion of the Gentiles into this faith who have different backgrounds, different practices, things that don't matter to them as much as it does to the Jewish believers? 
So one person esteems one day is better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That one gets me too. Verse six, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Are we picking up on that theme yet? The Lord is central to, at least should be central to every aspect of our lives. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. He's Lord of all. So three, make up your own mind and confidently live unto the Lord. When it comes to matters of conscience, when it comes to disputable matters where we might disagree with one another, let's make up our own minds and confidently live unto the Lord. That could be hard to do. Well, listen, Psalm 24, one says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Do we believe that scripture or not? I believe it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, all right? Now, do evil people do evil things? Yes. Does that mean that the world is theirs and not God's? No, because God is long-suffering, wanting no one to perish, but all to come to eternal life. That's love right there, to put up with our garbage, to put up with our disputes, put up with our stuff. He's long-suffering. He waits long, he suffers over, but the answer is there. He's surrounded us all with his wisdom. He's surrounded us all with the answer. And post-Pentecost, he's still pouring out his spirit on all flesh for those who would believe, that those who would repent of their sins and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. What a good God we serve, because now you and I are saved. You and I are here today because of his good grace. We were lost, we were destined for darkness and depravity and sin and hell and punishment for eternity, yet he saw you and he died for you because he loves you. I love what Paul says in Galatians 2, he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And this life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. What if we just lived each and every day like that? Some of these disputable matters become a little bit less important. On matters of dispute, believers may come to different conclusions on these non-essentials, even with the same desire to honor Christ. You see, we can all share the same desire to live our lives in honor of King Jesus, but some of our convictions on things that are non-essentials don't exactly look the same. And we need to learn how to live in unity despite that. Not by arguing over differing opinions, as Romans 14.1 says, but rather living in love, patience, kindness. Paul goes on to say, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? 
For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Notice that. I'm not giving an account for my wife. I'm not giving an account for my children before God. I'm giving an account for myself. I'm not giving an account for my brother on the front row here. He's giving an account for himself, and I'm giving an account of myself. So on matters of conscience, we are accountable to God and not the judgments of others. Man, you ever been on the receiving end of somebody's judgmental finger? Doesn't feel good. Have you ever been the one pointing the finger? I have. I'm sure you have too. And the scripture is telling us that we need to grow up from that childish way of thinking. We need to mature. It's hard. Paul refers to it as the weak and the strong. If you're me, the way I approach reading the scripture, I'm thinking, well, I don't want to be weak. Man, I want to be strong. And, and sometimes I can think to myself, you know what? Yeah, I'm strong. I'm amongst the strong. And that's wrong thinking too. Because we should live with an attitude of humility, examining our hearts every day and asking ourselves, where am I weak in my faith that I might grow up into strength? Amen? Romans 14, 13 through 18. Let's keep going. Therefore, anytime there's a therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? Well, it's from the last thing that we just read. We are all going to give an account to God for ourselves. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. It's happening, but don't let it happen any longer. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Let that sink in for a minute. Nothing is unclean in and of itself because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. So your conscience has a say in the matter. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. I find that interesting, that we have a tension to balance here. On the one hand, Paul is saying, don't put a stumbling block in front of your brother for the thing that your faith is strong enough to handle, but theirs isn't strong enough to handle. But then he's also saying, don't let that thing be spoken of as evil because you regard it as good. Whoa. Well, we need wisdom from God for that. Absolutely, that's the point. Wisdom. He offers it. So number five, let's think about this. Mature Christians don't allow their freedom in Christ to become an obstacle to less mature Christians. We have to be mindful of our brothers and sisters around us, those that we're in relationship with, doing life with. And we need to grow up into that maturity. We need to grow up into that strength of faith to be loving and caring enough to not let what our faith is strong enough for become a stumbling block for somebody else who might not be able to handle it. Think about some of the testimonies that we heard today, some of the lives that were being lived prior to Christ. We, you know, when you come to, you have to think about it as like a newborn baby. There's just things that, precious, you know? I'm not gonna have an expectation of my six-year-old son that I have on my brother that's 30 years old. I, I can't, you can't do that. It's not right. 
you got, you got to reach people at their level, where they're at. Take that into consideration. It's not always about being right. And honestly, that's a, that's a sin of mine. I like being right. I like winning an argument. I like having a good argument. I really do. That might not surprise some of you. Maybe some of you it does, or maybe it doesn't matter. But I'm just trying to be honest in front of all of you today as well so that we can ask ourselves the hard, honest questions, examine ourselves, and see where we might need to grow up into the things of God and mature and move on to the solid foods and away from the milk. Let's continue to read the scripture. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Romans 14, 19. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This should be our focus. Peace and mutual upbuilding. Come on, can we encourage one another? Can we speak words of life to one another? Can we first look for the good before we say something critical about somebody else? You know, this is the way we need to lead in our relationships. So he says in verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. And again, I want you to think about what those issues could be for us. Because we're not arguing over that. Maybe you are if you're vegan, gluten, gluten-free, whatever. It could be that, you know. We love that when Greg Hubbard always says that. doesn't matter if you're gluten-free, whatever. These are not the matters that we're talking about. But, you know, but politics, yeah. Policies, yeah. You know, alcohol consumption, yeah. Think about whatever you want to think about. As we read this, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. Listen to this. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So let's think about this. Number six, never violate your conscience on disputable matters. Never violate your conscience on disputable matters. If it's something that you and another Christian might have a disagreement on that is a non-essential from God's word, that might be a little less clear than the thou shall not, you know, that conscience, that, that conviction, sometimes that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit leading you. Sometimes it is. And you know what? Sometimes it also isn't. But God still honors those who hold fast to a conviction when their desire is to please him. So maybe God's not requiring it of you, but if it's something that you feel strongly about and you hold to it in honor of God, God still blesses that and loves that and supports you in that. You're with me. St. Augustine is mostly attributed for this quote, even though that's disputed in and of itself. He said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I think we need to look at it starting from the last line. In all things, charity. What do we mean by charity? We mean Christian love, gracious love, compassionate love. That's what charity is. Let's, let's 
be committed to being a community of people that in all things show love, charity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in essentials, unity. And so what, what then are we to do with the obvious disagreements that we have in front of us? When there's an obvious disagreement, what should we do as Christians? Remember, I was talking about the weak and the strong in their faith. Well, Paul continues in Romans 15 on the same string of thought. He says in verse 1, we who are strong, I pray that each and every one of us be among those who are strong. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. There we see it again. Let's be builders that build one another up, not tear one another down. Verse three, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might Uh, We might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we have written instruction right here, and within that written instruction is also encouragement. And within that encouragement, it can offer hope. And from that place of hope, we can live in harmony with one another despite our disagreements. And together, together, not apart, but together with one voice, not many voices, but with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. Let's focus on the essentials. He's Lord of all. Whatever we do, do it unto the Lord. Amen. Listen, it's difficult. I need to bring this in for a closing here. Again, I can't touch on every single matter that there could be, but listen, I know just from living today, I I come from a Christian family. My father pastors a church in the city of Reading. There are things theologically we disagree on, but we love each other, and we we live in harmony with one another. I'm on staff here. I have in-laws that pastor a church up in the northern part of Berks in Hamburg. You know, there are disputable matters that we have amongst us. Right here in this church community, we have, you know, I have brothers that are serving the Lord and not serving the Lord. I was faced a number of years ago with having to, to deal with a matter amongst my believing relatives and had to learn this principle and put it into practice and choose to bury the hatchet over something that, you know what, I might not understand, but I, I, can, I can live trusting God and, and not violating my own conscience because of where somebody is at in their conscience. And so a number of years ago, I received a phone call Christmas Eve, I was exhausted after doing, God only knows how many services we did here that year. Exhausted, laying in bed. Get a phone call late at night from my brother saying that he had proposed to his boyfriend. Looking for my approval, looking for my condoning, even though that was already conversations that we had, yet 
You know, this is a very complex issue in which we all face today. And honestly, I would, I would be willing to bet that we wouldn't all agree on that issue today. And that's okay. But can we at least do it together? Can we sort through and reason through the scriptures together from a place of, in all things, charity? But my circumstance was this. Now there's this pending wedding that my believing parents and my believing brother, who's the twin of this other individual, are all in ministry and we're all invited to this wedding and presented with what are we going to do? And I wrestled with it a lot, but I could not shake the conviction that I had that I could not be present. Whereas my brother, who's also a pastor in the state of New York, had a different conviction about it and felt that though I disagree with it and even saying that out loud, I still want to be there to show my love. And we, we had a dispute over that. We argued over that. And then I came to the point where I realized I can't, I can't argue him out of what he's feeling, nor can he argue me out of what I'm feeling. We should never violate our own conscience. And we also need to just live by our own convictions. What's the other thing I said? I said that we just need to make up our own minds and do it unto the Lord. And to this day, there's still divisions in my family, yet we're doing the best we can to love one another and to maybe someday come to the day where this is a story of testimony in the past and of God's redeeming grace. And that's what my prayer is. And listen, I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is that you face. I don't know what those bones of contention are in your life with those that you're in relationship with. But can I encourage you to learn from the example of Scripture, from Christ, who the reproaches of, that were supposed to be for us fell upon him, you know? Can we keep people that mature and grow up in our faith to be strong in the faith that even though when we see <laughs> you're making a mountain out of a molehill, that we can still be loving, kind, patient, and build one another up? Amen. So I believe that no matter where we are, if we're growing into maturity in Christ, that's a good goal and desire to have. And if we're moving on from the elementary things, the, the molehills, and, and not giving them any, any high place in our lives, moving on from that to the deeper things of God, a great indicator that we might be on the right track of reaching that maturity would be if we can live by, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. Let's be unified around what is essential. Let's allow people to flourish in the liberty they have in Christ, in all things, at all times, in all ways, demonstrating the love of God. When it comes to disputable matters, let's just bury the hatchet and focus on what matters most. Can I pray for us today as we close? Bow your heads. Lord, I thank you for your word.
God, I thank you that it, in it contains all the instruction and all the encouragement that we need to live a life of righteousness and godliness and holiness. And God, I pray that you would continue to do that work inside of each and every one of us, just as your word says that you began a good work in us and you were gonna bring it about to completion when you return. And so God, would you continue to, to go about that completing work in our lives, God, that, that we can be people that don't just stay where we are, but that we grow and grow and grow and flourish in the house of God. God, growing up into Christ Jesus, who is the head of the body, being mature and being unified by your grace and by your truth. And now, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Amen.